Good morning, saints. <laughs> uh, Pastor Rob called me, that was probably, probably about a month ago or so, asked me if I could come this morning and fill in uh, for him uh, with you guys, fellowship with you guys this morning. I, I'm, I'm so glad to, to be back here. I'm glad to see uh, just more of what the Lord is doing. He gave me a report of the, the things that the Lord is doing here in Cumberland, and it's it's it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to see the Lord's hand, see his work, and, and to watch him move in, in, his, in his transforming of each one of our lives. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Philippians, to the letter of Philippians. We're going to look at uh, chapter 1. And uh, my voice, I don't know what it is. I was, I was fine first service, and... That's why I had my daughter Kara sing. I was just like, if I sing second service, first you guys would have to listen to my voice, and that's never great. But more than that, I would probably lose it for, uh, for this. And so uh, I'm, uh, I'm going with it. Got some water. Got a, got a hall is working here. So we'll see what happens. But... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, the letter of Paul to the Philippians. We're gonna we're gonna read verses uh, 12 through 14 of chapter one, and then we'll go back and look at some things and and uh, kind of bounce around the letter a little bit. A little bit is 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 the plan. So uh, let's let's look at the verses, the focus verses. Philippians one, starting at verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my change, are much more bold to speak the word of the Lord without fear. Paul here is, he's writing this letter to the Philippians from from jail, he's in, he's in prison, he's incarcerated uh, at the time of this writing. He's in Rome, we'll look at that more in a bit. But uh, writing to the Philippians, a little background on the Philippians and Philippi, the, the city of Philippi. The city itself was founded by Philip of Macedon, he named it after himself, after he conquered the region, the general in the Roman army. He was actually the father of Alexander the Great, uh, the, the, the region was conquered and the, the city founded in right around 357 B.C. Rome, in its conquest of the Middle East, was at war with Macedonia. And as they were engaged, history says that they ran out of salt. And so everybody's thinking, okay, what does that do for their potatoes? It wasn't, the salt was what the soldiers were paid with. That was their, their salary. That's where we get the word salary. Um, sal in, in Latin is salt. Um, that's where you get the, the phrase, he's not worth his salt. It's the, it's the same thing. The Roman soldiers were, play, were paid in salt. It was currency. So being that they ran out of currency, most soldiers like to be paid like the rest of us. And so they subsequently threatened to defect, and that would leave Macedonia unconquered. But the people of the region, they preferred and they wanted Rome's rule to that of the Macedonians, so they collected salt from everyone and they gave it to the Roman army. 
And the war continued, and uh, Macedonia eventually was defeated. And after conquering Macedonia, the region, the city was founded. Philip named it Philippi. And the Roman government, for thanks, gave Philippi the status of colony. Uh, a, a Roman colony had unique <coughs> rights. Philippi shared the same exact rights that the city of Rome shared as a colony. And what, right, what rights were those? Uh, to be a colony, to be a citizen of a colony, you had very distinct and very good privileges. First of all, um, you had military protection. So the colony had a military presence all of the time and, it, and, and had the protection of that presence. Also, all of the citizens, um, they had freedom from taxation. So Rome would tax the entire world, of course, but anyone who was a citizen of Rome did not pay taxes, and that was one of the other benefits. If you were a colony, all of the people in that colony were granted citizenship. So all of the people of Philippi enjoyed Roman citizenship, which, which brought with it many privileges. You could travel, um, you, uh, you, you had rights, you had protection, uh, uh, you, you, you enjoyed uh, the legal system, uh, if, if someone brought charges, you were, you were given a fair trial and so forth. All of justice and everything that came with Rome and its governance came to the city of Philippi, the colony. Uh, the official language there was Latin. All of the culture of Rome, all of the stability, the stability that Rome brought and so forth, all because Philippi was a colony. And there were a few colonies that were sprinkled around the empire, Philippi being one of them. So how the church started um, back in chapter 16 of Acts. We'll look at that real quick. Turn with me. Keep your finger in Philippines. In Philippines? <laughs> Not the Philippines. The Philippians. The Philippines, that's on the other side of the world. And No, we're, um, we're going to Acts chapter 16, uh, but we will be going back to Philippians 1. Acts chapter 16, this is when the church at Philippi is established. This is where it begins. Um, we'll look at it. We'll uh, start in verse 6. Uh, this is Paul and Silas and Timothy. They're missionaries, and they're here <clears throat> on their second missionary journey. And they're out, they're out and about. Verse 6 says, When they had gone through the uh, Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore sailing from Troas, we ran straight course to Samothrace, I think is how you say that, and the next day came to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. So there you go. There's Philippi and its colony, and we were staying in that city for some days. So Paul here, if you're not familiar, Paul is journeying through modern-day Turkey. What is modern-day Turkey? The churches of Galatia, the seven churches of Asia, all that is in modern-day Turkey. Um, and Paul is wanting to go kind of circumvent around uh, the, the region. And he, he's wanting to go, says, to Bithynia and to, to Mysia, which is kind of north and east up along the Black Sea. 
it would seem that he was heading his way kind of towards Russia, around the north side of the Black Sea, that, that's Moscow up there. And so he's kind of going that way, but it says that the spirit forbade him. And then he tried to go to, to Misia. They made two runs at this, and somehow the spirit hindered them. The Holy Spirit did not permit them to go. Now, how that happened, what the Holy Spirit did, whether it was just an unction or maybe a, a word of knowledge or something like that, I, I doubt it. I, I Personally, this is, this is a total hip shot on my part, but the way everything went for Paul on his missionary journeys, the Holy Spirit forbidding him something definitely significant happened, okay? It's not recorded, we don't know, but, but, uh, but uh, the Holy Spirit, through circumstance or through word or somehow, they didn't go that direction. Instead, he receives the call. He receives the vision from the man of Macedonia. So he gets this vision, they cross over, so instead of going up and north, they kind of go straight across the Aegean Sea, and they land... Uh, Samothrace and, and, and Neapolis, and then wind up in Philippi, which is kind of modern north of Greece. So really, they're landing on the European continent, is, is really where the Lord had led them. So they come, they go in, and then on the Sabbath day, verse 13, it says, they go to the riverside, was prayer was customarily made. Now, in this record, there are three people that are converted initially, one of them is Lydia. Sabbath day, we, we sat down. Let's see. Prayer was made. Verse 14. A certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Okay, so here's the first convert, and then conversely, her family uh, in Europe. Um, Lydia, this, this uh, businesswoman, she's a successful businesswoman, purple uh, uh, garments, we got purple right here, purple garments, right? Um, it, was, it, was, it was royalty, it was expensive. If you wore purple, you, had, you, you were successful, and uh, here, here she is, this, this seller of it, so clearly she was successful, a successful uh, woman, but she and her household uh, make a profession of faith in Christ. So then it happens afterwards. They're staying there in, in the city. Verse 16, that we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. She did this for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And the, he came out that very hour. When her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or to observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received the charge... He put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, so likely this is the second convert, this slave girl. I can't imagine that the Holy Spirit would enable Paul to exercise this demon out of this poor girl who was being exploited and then leave her. And Jesus says that if a demon leaves someone and, and their house is swept clean but no one takes possession of it, their last state is worse than the first. 
I cannot imagine that uh, Paul then did not lead her to uh, saving faith in Christ. It, it doesn't say, but one, one can speculate. That's a reasonable, I think, conclusion that one can make. But here, they're in jail. So remember the setting. Paul gets to Philippi. Why? Because there's a vision. The Holy Spirit very clearly leads him there. We don't usually get that clear of leading most of the time. <laughs> a vision, okay, do this. Man, wouldn't that be nice? By the way, this isn't my, it would be, sometimes you're just like, man, I got to make that, Lord, just give me, give me the, there's no vision. You're like, am I making the right decision? Lord, I just, oh, what am I, what? anyway, Paul here, he's, he's led, and what happens? It doesn't go like we want it to go. People are being healed, and people are being converted, and there's, and re revival, and all these great things. What happens? People are being converted, but he's beaten I mean, picture, they grab these guys, strip them. A mob of people grab them, strip them of their clothes, and it says they were, they were many stripes and beaten with rods. Now, many stripes, we, we get that. Beaten with rods, I read, that they would tie you and they would put your feet up. So the soles of your feet were up and they beat the bottom of your feet until they bled. Imagine what that's like. And then, inner prison okay so they're they're thrown into the deepest dungeon as it were and their feet are in the stocks so not only have they been beaten and they're naked and they're wounded but their feet are stretched out in the stocks so of course what do they do at midnight verse 23 paul and silas were praying and singing hymns to god <laughs> natural that's what we all do right after we've been beaten with rods and so forth so we have our first converts. We have our first worship service. So here's the first worship service in Europe, okay? They're, they're singing praises to God. Suddenly there was an earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. The keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep, seeing the prison doors open, and supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Why? Because if prisoners escape, their judgment goes on the keeper. That was Roman law. So he's going to kill himself. I would rather kill myself than be uh, executed in shame by the Romans. And Paul said, don't do yourself any harm, for we are all here. Called for a light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, and brought them out and said, sir, what must I do to be saved? And they answered, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Place saving faith in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. So here's our third convert. Okay, so we have Lydia and her family. Oh, by the way, his family says he and his whole household were baptized. So they all made professions of faith. So here's the establishment of the church. But I, I just wanted to point that out and kind of highlight what, what, uh, you know, how, the, how it came about. And, uh, and uh, that it, it didn't go, I would suppose, how one would like it to go. <laughs> and, uh, but we have, nevertheless, we still have these three converts um, and the church is started okay this happens right around 50 52 I, I read one guy he said it was ad 52 another guy said it was ad 50 okay so give or take a year or two somewhere in there that's roughly when it happens okay now fast forward 10 years 10 years later go back to philippians 1 10 years later paul writes the letter to the philippians <clears throat> and he's uh he's writing this letter like i said um, on house arrest. He is, uh, he is in Rome. He's on house arrest. 
Um, he's been chained to a Roman guard. This is probably near the end, just based on what some of the things he says in this letter. Near the end of his uh, arrest in Rome, he's been there a couple of years already, uh, and a different Roman guard would be chained to him every six hours. He couldn't preach. He couldn't go out in public because he was incarcerated, but he was allowed visitors. He could also write, and he wrote. He wrote this letter to the Philippians. He wrote three other epistles, and these are called the prison epistles. The prison epistles being, namely, uh, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. He wrote four epistles while in prison, this being one of them. So he sends this letter to the Philippians. The Philippians, the church, had sent him a love offering. They had sent him some support money while he's in prison. So this letter was a thank you. Part of it was a thank you. Obviously, there's instruction, but it was a thank you for the support it was, uh, it was also informative because they sent the offering by the hand of a man named Epaphroditus, who is mentioned in the letter, and he was one of the Philippians, and he, he, once he got to Rome, became very sick and nearly died. And they had heard that he was near death, and so they were worried about him. So he sent this letter also answering, yeah, the Lord allowed him to recover. The Lord healed Epaphroditus, and, and he's and he's well, and God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but me also, lest I have sorrow upon sorrow, uh, he says here in the letter. So, he writes this letter to the church. Look at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at <clears throat> Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So, he's writing this letter. Now, this really, this kind of shows us what the church has become. So in that 10 to 12 year span, some very significant things have happened. I mean, it's much like this. This, Calvary Chapel of Cumberland reminds me of this. Every time I think of you guys, I think of this verse. I I remember the first time uh, uh, Pastor Rob invited me to speak, it was five years ago. It It was shortly after I came to this end of the country, the Lord led us here. And I, I was standing on the floor. There was no, there was no platform here. There wasn't a pulpit. <laughs> uh, I, I, there, at the walls. But anyway, every time I come, you, you see that the Lord has done more. There's, there's more going on. It's like I've, I've shared before, I think from here, it's like, it's like a tree. When you go somewhere and you come back and you, you see a tree after a long time, wow, that tree has really grown. It's bigger than it was last night. That's how it is here. But you see the tree every day, it just it looks exactly the same, right? But when you come back every once, you know, once a year or so, like, like I am, wow, the, the, the tree has grown. The church has grown. The church is maturing. The Lord is doing wonderful things here. And every time I talk to Pastor Rob, when he called me, I say, hey, what's going on? How's... And he just starts filling me in on all that. I was like, wow, wow, wow. You're just like, this really great. Fantastic. Praise God. The Lord's using this. He's, he's, he's planted his stake here, and the word of God is going forth. And lives are being transformed. And that's all glory to God, because that's what he does. But here, the, Philipp- the Philippians, the same thing, 10, 12 years. To the saints who are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. There's our clue. Bishops and deacons. Okay, bishop, a bishop is literally, the word means to look upon. 
So a bishop is someone who looks upon, or an overseer, someone who looks over something. And it can be used in any capacity, really. Someone who would be a supervisor, or maybe a commander, or, or, or a teacher, something like that. But in this context, of course, it's like a pastor. Someone who is overseeing the fellowship, overseeing the church. And he says bishops. So there's more than one. Now remember the beginning, right? We have a slave girl. We, there, were, there weren't 10 men in the city of Philippi because they didn't meet in a synagogue. You required 10 men for a synagogue. They would go out to pray at the river. So you don't have really any male leadership at all in the church. You have a slave girl. You have the Philippian jailer, to be sure. You have, you have Lydia. 10, 12 years later, you have bishops, pastors. So there's a few guys on staff, minimum, leading this church. And not only that, he says you have deacons. Deacons, uh, the word deacon means servant, a servant, but not in the sense of like a slave and their master, but one who serves. It, the word is, speaks of what one does rather than what one is. And uh, literally, it, uh, to stir up the dust, that's, that's the word deacon. You, you're stirring up the dust. A, a deacon is someone, uh, the idea, the imagery is uh, he's moving around. He's accomplishing tasks, and as he's, comp he's accomplishing tasks, well, he stirs up the dust. See, he's, he's, he's in service. That guy, he's, he's the dust stirrer. Oh, okay. So there's those guys. So you have a church with pastors, with elders, with overseers, with servants. You have a body. You have all these things going on, you see. Not only that, they gave, right? Paul says in chapter 4 that they gave once and again for his necessities while he was a missionary. And then, when he's imprisoned, they send him enough support. They sent him enough support that he said, I didn't even have to ask the churches at Thessalonica to support. You guys provided more than enough. So this is a mature, established fellowship. Just in the giving, you see. It's been said that the success, a good measure of success in a church is not how much a church receives, but how much a church gives. It's in giving out that one measures how well uh, something is going as far as ministry is concerned. Because ministry is not to be served, right? It's to serve. It's to give. Because Jesus served, and therefore we serve and we follow him as our master. So they gave. So here's an established church. Here's a, an established fellowship. And here's Paul writing this letter um, from jail. He's going, he's going to go before Caesar because he has appealed to Caesar, and he's going to give his testimony. Now, so how does Paul get here? Verse 12. Go back to verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I didn't get to that verse in, in the first service. Lord willing, we'll get to it now. If I sound like I'm talking fast, it's because I am. Because <laughs> I'm trying to, trying to get there. Um, so, how does Paul get here? He says, the things which have happened to me. See that in verse 12. I want you to know, brethren, the things which happened to me. What things? What things is he referring to? Of course, specifically, he's referring to his journey to Rome and his imprisonment uh, uh, there in Rome. If you look back at the epistle to the Romans, Paul had a great desire for ministry in Rome. When he wrote the book of Romans, the letter to the Romans, I believe he wrote it from 
Corinth. And he says, in verse, uh, chapter 1, I'm just going to read it, verse 10, 12. He says, making requests, he prays to the Lord that if by some means, now at last I may find my way in the will of God to come to you, to you Romans, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So he wants to go to Rome. He wants some fruit in Rome. He wants to visit the church in Rome whom he had never seen or visited. He only knew them by name. God's gospel started at Philippi, and it spread all the way to Rome. You see, the gospel is spreading over Europe. Paul hadn't even been there, but he wanted to go there. Oh, he got there. (laughs) And if you know the story, how he got there, again, just like the founding of the church of Philippi, was not the way he thought it would go. But all of the while, God is accomplishing his work, isn't he? That is encouraging. We'll look at that more. So, but what happened? These things happened. Of course, he was imprisoned. He was falsely accused. He became a political pawn. He was beaten also in Rome. He was in jail in Rome. They tried to get bribes out of him. They, they, they spread all these false things. There were plots on his life. He, he goes to Rome. He's shipwrecked. They're, 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 they're 14 days on the ocean without even seeing the sun. Imagine that. You're in a, you're in a, 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 this hurricane that these guys went and worked in North Carolina. You're in the middle of the ocean, heading toward the Sirtis Sands off of Africa. You're getting pushed that way. If you get stuck on that, that is the, that is the sentence of death, by the way. You get stuck out on those sands, you're not getting out. Your, your, your ship gets lodged, and you are, you're there for good until you die of starvation and thirst. So the sun will come, whatever. You're not getting off, and they're not going to get in there to help you. You're just too bad. You're out in the middle. So that's what's going on. Paul goes through this 14, you ever been seasick? (laughs) 14 days, okay? Then, and then he gets bit, they shipwreck, they swim, he gets bit by the snake. This didn't go well. He, He got to Rome, the Lord fulfilled the desire of his heart, but it was really difficult. But all of the while, God was accomplishing his purposes. Even through all of the hardship, even through all of the difficulty in Philippi, in Rome, everywhere Paul went, in spite of Paul and in spite of all of the difficulties that he experienced, God was still at work. So, these things, what they do, they, 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 uh, he says... They turned out, verse 12, for the furtherance of the gospel. That word furtherance, I looked up. It's, uh, in Greek, it's, it's, it's for it, the word for advancement. You know, something that's moving forward. It's like an army that's, that's moving forward, if you can picture the imagery. And, and, and in spite of the difficulties, in spite of the obstacles, in spite of all of the, 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 the mayhem, it's still advancing. See, the gospel is still advancing. It, and and, it, and it, it, it advanced far greater than Paul probably ever imagined that it would. But it was advancing. But what, what is it that God used to advance the gospel? Here it is. So our gospel is advancing. Where is it advancing specifically here in these verses? He says, what things that have happened to me actually have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So I had all this difficulty, but the gospel is being furthered. So God used those things, and specifically here, 
It's advancing so that it has become evident, verse 13, to the whole palace guard. You see that? The palace guard and all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. So the gospel is advancing to the palace guard. Remember those guards, those ones that Paul is chained to. He's got, now these are imperial soldiers. Okay, this is the cream of the crop as far as the Roman army is concerned. These are their best guys, seasoned warriors. I mean, think of, you know, G.I. Joe on steroids. Okay, these guys are, are just, okay, get, you get the imagery, all right? But the gospel is advancing with these guys. And what was it that Paul used? He says that they all know that my chains are in Christ. What did Paul use to advance the gospel with the imperial guard? Chains. Chains. That is significant. His chains are what opened the door to speak to specific people that he otherwise would never have had an opportunity to speak to. All of the while, you see, God is preparing these soldiers' hearts. God is at work on the other end while he's working with Paul on this end and through difficulty. But it's the chains. It's the chains that God is using. Okay, so the palace guard. This is the imperial guard. These are the best soldiers. Now, people sugarcoat this. Oh, well, who was chained to who? Ha, ha, ha. You know, the soldiers couldn't escape and Paul had a captive audience. That's true. But let's not overlook how difficult this was. You ever, you ever had a, anybody ever worn uh, stocks or chains or been chained? And that's, I, I never get, yeah, I have. You know? <laughs> One time when I was in, I was in seventh grade, I was, uh, a, fr- a friend of mine had some handcuffs and he had them at school and we were goofing around with them as, as seventh grade boys you know, do. And I, 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 uh, I clipped one on my ankle, one side of it on my ankle, sitting there in class and I'm, I'm like, just one click, oops. I'm like, oh man. And it, it, of course it doesn't come off. And Where's the key? Oh, it's at home. Great. So what does one do? I'm not going to walk around, you know, clank, clank with the... So I clipped, I clipped them both on my ankle, thinking, okay, I'll just, after school, we'll go to... You ever had a, like a thorn in your sock? You know, you step on it, and it's not, not real, but it's enough, right? And, it's, oh, oh. and then every time you step on it, you, gotta, you go get your suit, you find this, the thorn. The, the, these, these handcuffs in, in my youthful nest... Um, it was about maybe a mile I walked. My ankle was so red, <laughs> sore, right? I'm like, oh, get this thing. Finally, I was like, oh, man, it felt so good to get that. I mean, I had two hours, maybe, two and a half. Paul's been chained for two years. 24 hours a day. The Imperial Guard... Roman soldiers weren't exactly known for their cordiality. They just as soon kill you as to do something. I mean, you're, you're, you are, 
you are, you're, you're meaningless. You're, you're a prisoner. You're, you're less than nothing to them. You're an obstacle. Imagine having to endure the guard's presence 24 hours a day. What about their personalities? You have different personalities with, with different uh, soldiers, imaginably, and, and characteristics. Maybe they have different quirks. Maybe some of them were a little more sadist in their orientation and, and, and like to see people suffer and like to see people uncomfortable. One can only speculate. Uh, likely, they didn't have the best of manners. <laughs> uh, when he wrote, when he prayed, when people visited, when he ate, when he slept, when he went to the bathroom, the soldier was always present. Paul had a constant awareness of the guard's presence and a continual reminder of his imprisonment. This is not easy. He did, however, witness because it's the, the imperial guard is coming to faith in Christ. So he's witnessing to these people. What is he saying? What he's saying is what you guys are going to cover tomorrow night. Salvation by grace through faith. So come to this little shameless plug for tomorrow night's foundations class, okay? <laughs> Salvation by grace. He knew what he was talking about. Obviously, it's the Apostle Paul. It's important that we know what we're talking about. That's why these classes are so critical. Because you're going to have the opportunity. It was the chain that Paul wore that gave him the opportunity. And it's the chains that the Lord uses in our life that afford us also the opportunities. Now, I would prefer that it wasn't chains. I, I would like to just walk up to random strangers and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus Christ and them not to curse at me. <laughs> or family members, or friends, or acquaintances, or neighbors, or whoever it is that you're trying to, to witness to. Does it normally go that way? There's a lot of resistance, isn't there? It's demonic. The Holy Spirit, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. But you have to know what you're saying. It's far better than just saying something, it's far better to have something to say. So knowing the gospel, knowing the foundations, knowing the Christian faith, being able to articulate, that's what Paul's doing here. He knew what to say. He wasn't just kind of wildly shooting and hoping he hit something. He was precise. He knew exactly what he was aiming at. He knew exactly where to, to, to hit he was prepared. He was a missionary. He was always on mission. But the chains. God does the same with chains in our lives. You see, when an employee refuses to talk trash around, uh, behind his boss's back, when a co-worker refuses to hear the gossip, when a young person submits to the authority of their parents, when the waitress forgets our coffee and we don't react like everyone else does. The difficulties in our life, the Lord uses those things through us as a testimony, just like Paul. 
It was the chains that brought the testament. And you can be sure that those guards were watching. You can be sure that they're examining the genuineness of his profession. And often, the thing that separates, it's not the miracle. It's not the healing. It's it's the debilitating sickness. It's enduring. It's having joy, which is really one of the main themes of this letter, in spite of the difficulty. And when God brings those things into our life, when he brings those chains into our life, and our response is like that of Paul, to use those things as an opportunity to shine for Jesus, that's when the Lord, that's when the Lord opens up doors. He, God uses brokenness. It's, it's, why does he do that? One of the reasons I believe that he does that is because when you're being used of God and his glory is passing through you and you see it and you know it, it's really easy to want to grab a little bit of that for yourself. But God doesn't share his glory with anyone and he won't share his glory with anyone. He uses broken vessels. He uses those who... who humble themselves before him and regardless of the task or regardless of the, of the path, regardless of the circumstance, I'm going to believe and I'm going to follow and I'm going to submit to Jesus' lordship. So here, Paul, and, and, and with us, uh, my chains are heavy, Lonnie. You, you, you don't get it. You, you don't understand what, what the Lord has brought in my life. I, I, can't, I can't do this. Hold on a second. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that God will not allow you to be tested above that which you are able. But with the temptation, he will, he, will, he will provide a way so that you can go through it and you can bear up under it. He doesn't remove it. Nowhere in that verse does it say that God takes the chain off. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he does. And, and praise God when he does, when the, when the healing happens. But when you guys, uh, um, what is it, Nabil Qureshi, is that, that's his name, the, the guy that works with Rabbi Zacharias, he died of, of cancer not very long ago. Wonderful testimony, uh, conversion to Christ is a Muslim and so forth. And, and uh, I don't know if anybody watched his last, he was on his deathbed in the hospital and he, he kind of he put out this video, he posted this video on YouTube. And it was, here I am. Uh, God, God stopped uh, uh, Abraham's hand at the last second, and he, he may heal me at the last second. But even if he doesn't, I'm going to trust Jesus. And see, yeah, he could be healed, and we would all rejoice if, if he was healed, and, and the doctors and the nurses in the hospital would say, yeah, that's, that's great, but if you want to say God did it, great. But we, we know where your heart really is at. You see, when, when you, you can't say that when, Lord, my life is yours. And my life is a living sacrifice to you. 
And if, if, it's, if it's sickness, if it's the death of a, of, of a loved one, if it's, if it's the loss of a job, if it's hardship, if whatever it is, Lord, my life is in your hand. If you have given me this, it's because you have a purpose for it. And open my eyes to see spiritually the spiritual realities that are going on all around me. There was a girl, I'm from San Diego, there was a girl at our old church, she got, she got cancer, it was very aggressive. And you know what? You would never know it. She went through, I lost her hair, she was, she was a hairdresser. She was a, hair, a salon stylist. Karis, my daughter knows who I'm speaking of. But you know, she had long blonde hair, always styled, she lost all her hair. I mean, this, was, this is what she did. She, she had wigs. She'd wear wigs. You never knew it. You never knew. You go to church. She had a smile on her face all of the time. I watched her week after week after week, and she went through chemo, and she went through the whole thing. And yeah, the Lord, it's in, it's in uh, remission right now. Praise God. But it wasn't easy. But she never lost her joy. And, and, and you, you ask her, and she says, Hey, I'm going to heaven. If, if, uh, that's where I want to be. If I'm going to be here, okay. But if I'm going to go there, okay. I mean, far better, right? Paul says that right here in verse 21. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. What shall I choose? I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Being confident of this, confident of what? I know that I shall remain and continue with the faith for your progress and joy in the faith that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming. I know God has a plan. Even though I've gone through all of this difficulty, God is at work. You remember back in chapter 16 of, uh, of uh, Matthew, when you guys are studying Matthew, I saw, uh, Peter's, Peter's uh, great confession, remember that? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I don't know if you guys have gotten there yet, but if you have, okay. Um, remember what he did next. Jesus says, it says from that time forth, Jesus began to teach his disciples that uh, he was going to Jerusalem and he was going to die on the cross. And what does Peter do? Not so, Lord. Not the cross. Be it far from you, Lord. No. I mean, Aren't we just like Peter? Lord, not, don't give me bankruptcy. I'm not cancer, not, 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 uh, not, uh, not the, the ruined relationship. No, no, I, I want the Lincoln Continental. I want, I want the miraculous healing. I want, I, want, I want perfect relationships. That's the kind of Christianity that I'm interested in, Lord. But Jesus, no, no, no. It's a cross. There's a cross in my future, and we're just like him. But when we experience the fellowship of his suffering, we begin to say, now I, I see things differently. You see, 
There is no closeness to Jesus without dependency upon Jesus. And the times that we are most dependent upon Jesus is when things are most difficult. So we pray, God, I want to be closer to you. God, I want to know you more. God, I want to know you in the power of your resurrection. Oh, God, reveal yourself to me. And he answers that prayer. <laughs> but the way he answers it is not always the way he thought he was going to, does it? Is he? Like Paul, going to Philippi, going to Rome, the chains. And those are the things very often that God uses in our life to shine the brightest. But, like Paul says in Philippians here, we have joy. Why? Why do we have, is this just some pie in the sky idea? Oh, that's a nice thought. I was talking with a guy recently, um, uh, uh, this, he was a, a professor, a vowed atheist, and, and uh, it, was at, it was at a wedding reception. He walks up to me and he says, oh yes, so the ceremony was great and so forth, very lovely, but I could have done without all of those religious references. I'm like, thank you, I, I suppose. I didn't, it was, it was kind of out of the blue, I mean, kind of aggressive. And I'm like, well, why do you say that? And so we start this conversation. I'm, of course, I'm a pastor. This is, this is what I do. And, and uh, of course, he's coming at, from the others. Well, he says, he says and, and I share with him someone else that I know that has cancer and what the Lord showed her in, in that situation. Well, if that helps her cope, he kind of sneers in response. And I'm like, I said, well... And then he began to explain, he began to talk, I'm a scientist and I study science and I'm always enthralled by all of the, the splendor and the order of science. I said, you know why that is? <laughs> Do you know why? It's so intricate. It's so precise and it's, yeah, it, it, it's, it's exhilarating. It's, it's wonderful to see the discoveries uh, and, and, and the, the intricacy of creation. He's, it really is. And I got him to, you know, I said creation, and he, he, he acknowledged. Anyways, um, he, uh, I said, do you know, I said, the reason is, is because God is a God of order. God is a God of order, and God is, he's, he's omnipotent. You see his power displayed in creation, and it, it speaks of how great he is. You're really witnessing the greatness of God. And it draws you. I said, but you know what? He has far many more attributes that you are yet unaware of. And I would strongly encourage you because he's also a God of love. He's also a God of, of all wisdom. He's a God who's, who's, who's just. He's a God who, who, who saves. And he's like, well, I'm like, okay. So it, that kind of, it, it fizzled out after that. But we can rejoice because we know Christ is risen. Christ is risen, and because Christ is risen, we will rise. This life is not where it ends. We don't have hope. We have hope in the future. We have hope in the resurrection. 
So even though difficulty may be our portion, and for how long? I don't know how long. I was talking with someone earlier. They were sharing with me how, how they went through a very difficult season, but the Lord has brought them out of that season, and now they're on this side, and they're rejoicing. For some, the season ends, and for others, the season ends uh, with death. Why is that? I don't know. But I do know this, that the testimony, I think of two people. I think of Joseph, who was imprisoned, and I think of John the Baptist, who was imprisoned. You guys remember the story of Joseph back in Genesis chapter 40, right? He's imprisoned. The butler, the baker come. Remember me when you get out because I'm languishing away in this prison. Even though you never, he never said it, but he was. And they, of course, forget him. And then two years later, he's languishing away. And in one day, prison doors open and he is second in command. God is amazing how he can just end something when he's done. But does he always do that? He doesn't. What about John the Baptist? How did his prison experience? Now, why was John the Baptist in prison? You know why? He was in prison because he spoke out and said, it is not lawful for you to have, to, 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 to uh, uh, help me. Herod, Herod yeah. Uh, he, he, was, he, he had taken his brother's wife. And so he said, he spoke out, he spoke the truth, you can't have her. It's wrong for you to do that publicly. Well, what, what happens when you speak out against a despot? <laughs> You're imprisoned. And then what's his response? Lord, you know, are you the one? Or are we waiting for somebody else? And no, no, I'm the one. And then, how does his prison experience, why? You look at his prison experience, and you think, if there was ever a meaningless death, what was it? Oh, well, uh, uh, a girl did a sensual dance, and it pleased them. So he said, well, whatever you want, you can have it. Oh, I want the head of John the Baptist. Can you imagine? You're John the Baptist, and they come in, and it's clear what's going to happen next. Why now? Oh, well, see, Salome did this dance. In those last moments, what's going through your mind? Lord, what are you doing? This is not how I visioned your kingdom coming. Can you imagine? But what's, what's the testimony? What's the testimony? Even though our outward man is perishing, even though we're wasting it, even though life is going to end, the inward man is being transformed. God is working, and he's preparing us for heaven, and he's preparing heaven for us. So, the chains may be heavy. The, difficult, the difficulty might be very real. But we serve a God who rules. 
who is in absolute perfect control of all things, and he is working everything according to the counsel of his own will. That includes every single small detail of every moment of our life according to his purpose for his good pleasure so that he will glorify himself through our lives. So keep looking up. John Corson, I got a quote from him here. You guys, he's on your radio. I mean, he, you know who he is. Christians, quote, Christians are the only people who can truly rejoice. They can choose to rejoice and be happy when things on the outside seem so bleak. Because we're the only ones who know there will be a fellowship in suffering which will manifest the power of Jesus and his resurrection. And which will, in turn, allow the degree of intimacy with God which will make us deeply happy and truly blessed. Jerry Bridges wrote in Trusting God, he said, That which should distinguish the suffering of believers from unbelievers is the confidence that our suffering is under the control of an all-powerful and all-loving God. Our suffering has meaning and purpose in God's eternal plan. You see, God, he has not left us to our self. He loves us too much to leave us to our self. If he didn't, if he left us to, if everything was happy and, you know, roses and tulips and fuzzy bunnies all of the time, our self would rule. Our self would dominate. But he loves us too much to leave us as we are. So the purifying process. So the difficulty. So the refinement through fire. What does suffering do for us? Among other things, it can show us the impossibility of finding true happiness apart from God. Those things that the world leans on for happiness, you know, fortune and fame and relationship and possessions and career and health, they all crumble. It is then that we see Jesus as the only true foundation which we can build our lives upon. Do we really believe the lie that there is anything worthwhile or meaningful apart from Jesus Christ? No, we don't. We know the truth. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. I was reading, a, some of you may know a Greg Laurie. He's a Calvary Chapel pastor in California. Um, his son was killed, uh, I think he was 31 at the time. I remember when it happened. It's been more than 10 years now, but his son Christopher died in a car crash, suddenly just hit and died. He said this, what I wish, quote, what I wish is that I could have learned and grown and drawn close to the Lord just like I have, but that Christopher was still here. Uh, sorry, I think, I think that we all could wish that we all could have the good things that God brings through suffering and through difficulty without all of the pain, but that's just not how he's done it. But like we see, they're producing for us something far more exceeding and eternally glorious. Romans chapter 8 says that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. 
Romans 8 goes on to say, of course, that everything is working together for our good. And our good, of course, is verse 29 where he says that we're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. One day, God will subdue. One day, everything will be made right. One day, this upside-down world will be corrected. All things will finally be as they should. But in the meantime, it's about trust, it's about faith, it's about surrender, it's about obedience. He has a plan. Philippians 1, verse 6, we'll, we'll close with this verse. This is a promise verse. You can be confident. You can be confident of this one thing, this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. He's going to complete it, and the way he completes it for each one of us is probably going to be a little bit different, but he will complete it because his faithfulness is on the line. He's a God who is faithful. He is a God who does not change. He's a God whose hands never leave the clay. He knows exactly what he's doing, and there are times where there's pressure. But that is, that's, that's doing a work, isn't it? He will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will come back, and he will fulfill all those things that he has promised. So, We trust his will. We submit to his lordship. We have faith in his wisdom. We rest in his sovereignty. All of this has been decreed by infinite wisdom, and this has all been designed by infinite love. He is the God who saves. Stand with me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the assurance of your word. We thank you for the promises in your word. We thank you, Lord, that though the outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed. We thank you, Lord, that this light momentary affliction is just for a moment. And in light of eternity, it's working for us an exceedingly eternal weight of glory. And we don't see the things that are seen, Lord, the things that are unseen. We don't see those things, but Lord, we look, at, we look at those things. We look for those things. We lay our lives before you. Take everything, take us, and accomplish your purposes in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> we'll